random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Hi, this is Mark Guggenheim, writer of Han Solo and Chewbacca, X-Men Gold, Arrow, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Law and Order, Practice, Brothers and Sisters, and the Green Lantern movie that you love so much. You're listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And joining us on the other end of the tin cannon string, we are joined with the showrunner of the Arrowverse. We are joined with a writer behind so many comics, including X-Men over at the House of Ideas Marvel Comics, and also Han Solo and Chewbacca. Yes, that's my best impression of uh, Billy D. Williams doing Chewbacca. That's... Man, it's like Billy D. Williams is in the room right now. But no, we are joined on the other end of the tin cannon string with Mark Guggenheim. Mark, good evening. Good evening. It's great to be talking with you guys. Thanks That's a short intro. On. You're welcome. Oh, boy. If it was a meandering one, we'd really be out of whack. <laughs> I, I feel like the your, your, your you know, Lando impression, it, it needs to be a little, like, lower register. You know? Chewbacca. But, yeah, it's better. Yeah, like gotta, gotta get better. a little breathy in there. Gotta get a little little growl going. Yeah. Oh no, sorry. You know, it's, a, it's a smooth growl. Like you gotta, you know, you gotta calibrate it just just so. That Death Star is operational. Man, it's like Eddie. Can you sell me a Colt forty five? <laughs> <laughs> I knew somebody was gonna bring that up. Had to be you. So f- had to be you. Well, anyway, so Mark, first off, how are you this evening? You know, I'm doing okay. I can't, I can't complain. I'm, I'm writing comics. I'm writing, you know, the occasional TV show and the occasional movie. So, they're, they're paying me to, they're paying me to live my dream. So, you know, what, what's that like? And you know, everyone's gonna go immediately just the very first thing, either Arrow or the current Marvel stuff. But I thought, why not? Creator-owned yeah. stuff. You are doing creator-owned stuff, and creator-owned comic book work is one of the most underappreciated things in the realm of comics because you never know what could be the next big IP. You know, you look at the stuff over at Image Comics, there's a lot of creator-owned stuff, and it's blown up. For example, this little-known uh, indie comic called The Walking Dead. You know, every, I don't know if you ever heard of it. Never but, heard of it. Never heard of it. It became kind of a kind of a pop culture phenomenon, just, just a little bit. Seems but, like it. Seems like it. I, I, I will say, like, I, I always feel like it's dangerous to chase that. Like, that's like, you know, that's like playing the lottery with with the expectation you're going to win. And I, I also think, like, you know, when I do my, my creator-owned books, I, I would even assume that there's going to be an audience for it in comics, much less an audience for it in Hollywood. Um, you know, I, I, I'm always just like, oh, i got a story I want to tell, and I want to try to tell it, you know, the best way I can in, in this medium um, that I love so much. And, you know, it's like, you know that that's that to me is the that's the reward. I don't it doesn't even you know the possibility that it could become The Walking Dead doesn't even occur to me mainly because you know the impossible does not occur to me normally. So with creator owned stuff, what are some of the projects you're doing nowadays? You know it's funny. So 
it's going to seem in the next, I'm just going to warn you guys right up front um, and, and your listeners, it's going to seem like I'm flooding the zone and flooding the market um, because in, in the next couple of months, I've got, you know, three different projects coming out. And uh, earlier this year, I had another project coming out. So I've got, you know, in, in a space of six months, I'll basically have four different creator-owned projects, and they'll be like, what the whole? Isn't he writing Star Wars? Doesn't he have anything else to do? <laughs> and the, the, the reason kind of is that I actually started several of these projects, like, right at the beginning of the pandemic. So it's just this weird coincidence that is probably the result of bad planning, or I should say more accurately, the result of no planning, um, that everything's coming out in the same sort of six-month period. Um, but regardless, I'm, I'm really excited because going into 2020, my New Year's resolution was I want to get back into creator-owned comics. And then suddenly, you know, because I said that, really, um, there was a global pandemic. The COVID basically my fault. Um, it, it was sort of like the universe conspiring to make sure that this one time in my life I actually followed through on a New Year's resolution. And uh, because of COVID, television production was shut down, film production was shut down. And I suddenly had a huge amount of time on my hands. And I was like, okay, well, I've got all this time. I'd better make good on my resolution. And uh, lo and behold, um, you, know, you know, almost three years later, uh, all those seeds are, are now sprout, sprouting forests. So um, it's, uh, it, it's cool. But I, I apologize to anyone who thinks that, like, God, like, enough is enough already. But it's too many books. Um, but, but please feel free to buy them all. So in regards to the uh, books, what do you feel are the biggest benefits of a creator-owned title? I, you know, first and foremost, um, they're an opportunity for me to tell a story and get it out into the world in the shortest amount of time. Um, you know, writing a novel takes, you know, at least two years. Um, writing a TV show or a movie, you have to go through so many different studio gatekeepers. Um, you know, if I have an idea, uh, assuming it lends itself to comics, because not every idea I have does, but if I have an idea and it, I feel like it, it would be told well in, in the medium of comics, it's like, well, this is the, you know, this is the, the quickest way to actually bring it into the world. Um, there's far fewer barriers uh, in comics than there are in television or film. And don't even get me started on animation, which takes even longer. Especially when you're drawing it all by yourself and, you know, coloring it and you're putting it, you know, doing the flip book thingy. Yeah, no one wants that, by the way. No, no, one, wants to, no one wants to see my animated movie. No one wants to see uh, any of my you know, comic book art. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, that is not a skill that I've spent. Drawn before a live studio audience. It's oh, painstaking. I, I'm very, very envious of anyone who can actually put, you know, pen to paper, either real life paper or digitally, and have, you know, an actual drawing, uh, you know, come out uh, at the end of the day. Well, with respect then to uh, Mark, the time frame, and I've heard it before with respect to a two year period to do a novel, that seems like about a approximate time frame but it, but with the tv show i assume that can vary somewhat so what range of time would that take to you know put together that's a good question you know i i guess you almost have to speak in terms of the before times and the current day you know it used to be it used to be about a year you know it used to be like 
you know, or maybe a little bit over. Like you'd pitch in June, you'd get your pilot pickup in December or early January, you'd shoot in March and be on the air in September or October. Like that, that's the way it used to be. Now, unfortunately, even network television, which, you know, used to work the fastest, you can have a development process that lasts anywhere from two to four years. Wow. Um, which is it's insane to me. It's completely crazy. Um, but uh, the, the whole television landscape right now is, is very much in a state of a little bit of chaos and, and change and tumult. So that's, you know, I, I think those long tail development cycles uh, are, are a consequence of that. Um, hopefully the pendulum will start to swing back a little bit more in the direction of, uh, you know, of, of turning things around just slightly faster. Um, you know, I'm not getting any younger, and most of my peers are not getting any younger. Um, and uh, it would be nice if, you know, ha- you know, having something that you, you know, are working on today, uh, you, you know, learning its fate sometime before 2007 would be kind of nice. Yeah. I had a time machine concept in mind. I'm thinking, oh, wait, Legends of Tomorrow. Here we go. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's like, you know, I think, I think you know, Legends and Arrow, like, we, we again, we sort of developed those shows in, in the pre-COVID times and pre-streaming times, and things are different. You know, things, things are very, very different um, now than, uh, than, you know, than they were back then. I think we would have gone, you know, we probably would have had to do everything very differently and um, go about things in a, in a completely altered way than what we were able to do. So um, I look back on those times and think, wow, we, we didn't know how good we had it. Now, going back over to Star Wars. So you are writing the Han Solo and Chewbacca series over at Marvel. And first off, is it a 12-issue mini or is it going to be like a ongoing it's a act neither. This is a ten issue mini. Well, uh, I no. overshot it by two. Wow, that, ten. Uh, that's that's quite all right. Um, actually, uh, Dave Messina is is illustrating issue ten now, and it, at the very least, we are we are ending with a bang. Uh, it's it's really really good. I actually I'm very excited about the second arc. You know, issues six through ten. Like the the book was always going to be ten issues, and I from Jump had always had it constructed as two arcs of five issues apiece. Um, and I, I really kind of feel like the second arc is even better than the first arc. Um, and, uh, you know, Dave's work for sure just just gets better and better with every issue. And, you know, God loves him. He, you know, he emailed basically said, like, I'm, I'm sort of approaching this like a, uh, like a season finale of a TV show. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's exactly how I was approaching the script, too. That's exactly what I was thinking. So um, we're, we've been very much, you know, in sync and excited, um, you know, for what's to come. So, uh, you know, st- stay tuned. And you'll see, I'll, I'll give you guys like a little bit of a spoiler slash exclusive. Um, but issue nine is it's very pivotal, like not just for Han Solo Chewbacca, but there are going to be consequences of the revelations that are in that book will have consequences that lead into the, you know, the mainline Star Wars titles in 2023. So, you know, issue nine basically is is the issue where if you've been thinking that this is a book that sort of 
is completely standalone and doesn't relate to the other Star Wars titles. Um, and you can read it that way, that's fine. But if you think they're unrelated, um, you discover, oh my God, wait a second, it's all connected. Mm -hmm. And, you know, isn't that cool? Now, in regards to, uh, I always ask uh, anyone involved with the current continuity of Star Wars, I ask this to Mark Wade, I'm going to ask this to you. In regards to all of your actions that the characters have, they are reflective of what can happen down the line in the future Star Wars movies or the movies that already exist. First off, where does the uh, this story exist in the timeline of Star Wars? It exists um, basically like in the year before A New Hope. Okay. So when it comes to things like this, everything your characters are doing, you know, when you have Han do a decision in this, when you have Chewie do a decision, that reflects what is now going to happen as a result in 1977 Star Wars. It's going to have an effect on, you know, Empire, Jedi, the, you know, the sequel trilogy. Like, when you really think about it like this, everything you have your characters do in this is a domino effect. And what is it like knowing that? Well, you know, it's funny. It's precisely because of that. It's precisely because all of this is canon that I try very hard not to think about. Um, because if I, if I think too much about it, I would, you know, I'd be totally frozen. I'd, I'd be paralyzed. Um, so I, I try to, you know, I, I, I try to sort of put aside the fact that all this is canon and all this quote unquote is real and just sort of focus on the, you know, the best story that I can. And at the same time, like, you know, be mindful of the fact that, I'm not just working forward. I'm, I'm also working backwards. You know, um, I, I'm, you know, sort of like working backwards from like the, the movies and, and the other elements of established canon. For, for example, um, like in issue 10, um, you know, if you've ever been like me curious as to what a Jedi training remote is doing on the Millennium Falcon when Han doesn't even believe in the Force at all, um, you know, well, that issue's for you because um, I've always wondered that. There was an opportunity to scratch that itch, and Lucasfilm was supportive of it. Um, but I, I try really hard not to look, uh, look too deeply into the situation because uh, otherwise I, I would never be able to meet my deadlines. I'd, be, I'd just be too panicked all the time. And with the Han Solo series... You have Phil Noto doing covers once again. You had Phil doing uh, covers for you on X-Men Gold, and now Phil returns. And yes. What is it like, again, having Phil do the covers and, like, Phil's dreamy-esque kind of style to it, you know? I, you know, well, I'm a huge Phil Noto fan, like, and, and I have been ever since working with him on X-Men Gold. Um, I will say, I think, as amazing as, and, and iconic, quite frankly, as the X-Men Gold covers he did were, these are just on a whole other level. Um, they're, they're just, I mean, it's funny, like my wife saw the cover of issue one and she's like, can you reach out to Phil and like, you know, see if he has like, you know, a, a lithograph of that or something like, you know, you know, she's like, I want to, you know, frame that and put that up in our house. Um, and you know, believe me, I, it, I, she doesn't let me, uh, you know, there's not comic book art up all over our, our house. I, I don't I don't get to do that. So the fact that she was like, that art is is beautiful enough to you know to put up um, really says something. And I'm currently showing Eddie the uh, cover on my iPad. It's pretty, isn't it? It's very very nice. Yeah yeah yeah. It's got a little um, uh, I want to say ruggedness to it. It's not 
uh, maybe perhaps completely uh, what's the word? I don't know. If clean is the right word, but it's but it's not in a negative kind of way. I do like it very much. I like the fact yeah. that your wife says she wants to put it on the wall. That's a wife. That's yeah, a keeper. Holy right? crap. That's pretty cool. I mean, like like I said, I don't, you know, if you were to come into our house, you wouldn't see Complicart uh, on every single wall in the house, which, you know, to be honest, left to my own devices, is probably what you would have seen. <laughs> yes. And it's it's funny because when it comes to uh, Phil's art style, like there is like the sense of dreaminess to it, though. Like you look at those. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen. I think it's a Twitter thread or it's an Imager uh, album, but it's like all of these different shots that he would do. Yeah. And it's like, well, um, what's it called? Like Polaroids, kind of, or like you know, a vintage camera. And it's like he did this, and it looks it's just gorgeous looking stuff. He's incredible, and and what you know in terms of the dreaminess of this style, one of the things that you know, really impresses me is that he's actually able to dial turn that, um, you know, and, and have it fit what he's, what he's doing. There's, you know, there's like the X-Men gold covers, I think were a bit dreamier than his Star Wars covers. Um, and, and the Star Wars covers, you know, really have, especially that, that cover of issue one uh, that I was referring to, the, you know, you kind of feel like he's, he's not, you know, homaging, Drew Struzan style so much as he is sort of tipping his hat towards it and, and acknowledging that Drew Struzan, you know, really helped define what the visual of a Star Wars piece of art is supposed to look like. And, you know, Phil is, is definitely like, like I said, not, not aping it at all, but certainly, you know, acknowledging it and, and acknowledging what that legacy is. Uh, and I just think that's incredibly cool. This show is brought to you by our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash themarvelists. And on the $3 tier, you'll get access to episodes early and ad-free. The $5 tier gets you our two bonus shows. One, Fantastic Voyage, where we dissect and just talk about the 102 issues, one by one, although if it's a storyline more than one at a time, of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's amazing, incredible, spectacular, invincible, and fantastic run of the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. And two, you haven't read that? A show dedicated to the comic books that I haven't read yet. Some Marvel, some DC, all fun. And on the $8 tier, Pick a topic of your choosing, not a topping of your choice, or perhaps you can be a guest on The Marvelists. Above all else, we thank you for your continued support. I'm sorry, I have to back up and apologize. I seem to be stuck on the number 10. And how the heck did 10 issues for this run come about? Oh, uh, really? Yeah, super simply. There, there's no, uh, there, there's no uh, mystery to it. Um, it was simply the fact that it's two arcs of five issues apiece. Another mystery solved by the Eddie Wilson detective yeah, five agency. Plus five. Uh, yeah, pretty simple. Um, now i got to think about this twice as hard. Oh, geez. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's it, it just, you know, again, that's, that's two trade paperbacks. By the way, subtle reference, twice as hard, oh, no. I think is a <laughs> Black Crow's song. We do music references, too. We sure do. I love it. And I love it. Well, actually, I know from our, our pre-interview, uh, you know, um, rabbit going down the Larry Cohen rabbit hole. <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, man. Um, in regards to 
just a lot of the stuff though with the Star Wars, you know, continuity, and it's like we were talking off mic about it, and you were trying to sell me on Andor, and you're doing a pretty damn good job about it. You right. were very, uh, very Walter Disney. Give this man a raise, just you know. I mean, give him a raise, give him a movie, give him a. Honestly, I'd rather. Oh, you're talking about me. You honestly, it's funny. I, I, I thought you were talking about Tony Gilroy. No, they can give me a movie too. That'd be totally fine. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think they should give Tony Gilroy uh, a movie and a raise because uh, I, I think what he's doing is is really next level stuff. It's you know, it 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 does. I think what what any sort of great sort of licensed property piece of material should do, which is it, it works incredibly well as a Star Wars show, but it also works just as well as a TV show. And, you know, other than, you know, watching things like Andor, are you getting into any of the other uh, Star Wars uh, canon stuff? Like oh, the yeah, TV I've show? watched other... them all. Uh, I, look, I'm, I'm a total sucker for Star Wars. I, I love Star Wars, and, you know, I... Will I will consume anything that Lucasfilm has to give me. Um, so I've been watching. I've been watching everything, and and I enjoy each of the shows for different reasons. Um, but I, I, I will definitely uh, say that Andor is, is easily my favorite. And it's funny because like you wouldn't expect like when I heard the announcement of Andor coming out, like I was just like, oh, the character that we're going to see die in the movie that already came out. Oh super duper and it's like when I'm hearing all these people though talking about it, it's like oh this is actually a really great thing and it's like the one the one character I keep seeing over and over is uh, Andy Serkis's character like the non-stop yeah. talk about him and I'm like what what happened the circus is in town what happened uh, you know, look he's he's terrific and I will say this without spoiling anything the storyline that he's involved in is in my was my favorite storyline, my favorite part of the show, um, and and it's kind of the part that had you pitched it to me, I would have said that'll be my least favorite part. Um, so there, it's just both both Andy and his performance, as well as the storyline itself, are just wonderful surprises. Um, you know, in in a in a very I think layered and rich and and sort of expansive uh, you know series. Um, you know, with with you know. They, they go to a lot of places. You see a lot of planets. There's a lot of balls in the air, plot-wise, that are being juggled. And um, it, it all works, and it all comes together, I think, in the finale in this really wonderful way. Um, you know, yeah, I, I could talk. Honestly, we could do a whole series of pods on on uh, Andor and, and my love for it. And, and in general, my love for Tony Gilroy, both as a writer and a director. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Tony Gilroy fan, and that's probably showing as much as uh, I, I, me being a huge Star Wars fan. My girl's gonna kick my ass, but I'm currently downloading all of the episodes of Andor for offline viewing on the award-winning Disney Plus. Oh. So I'll be watching that before I watch Clone Wars or Rebels or any of that stuff. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Guggenheim, Star Wars aficionado since the age of what six, seven? Uh, I'm guessing six years old. Yeah, crazy. So where did it begin with you in, in comics, if you recall? What age and what comic books? You know, I couldn't tell you the answer to the first question. It was. Uh, Superman to begin with, because one of my earliest memories growing up was I somehow found myself with a Superman comic and I was on the floor of my bedroom and I'm flipping through the pages and my mother comes in and I, I'm so young, I, you know, I can't even read. And, and she thought she had, you know, given birth to a savant. 
Uh, she's like, oh, my God, you can read? I'm like, no, I'm just looking at the pictures. So I, I had always been just completely ensorcelled by, by comic books. Um, so I, I couldn't tell you what the first comic I truly read was, um, but it, because it, it goes back to even pre-memory memories. Um, but uh, I grew up really with sort of the DC comics, and then when I was around, I would say eight years old, nine years old, uh, I discovered the uh, the pocketbook editions of Spider-Man, the original Stanley, uh, you know, uh, Stanley, you know, Jack, uh, not Jack Kirby, sorry, Stanley Steve Ditko, uh, Spider-Man that, that Pocket uh, published in, in these little trade paperbacks. And I, I just devoured them. And from there, I just started devouring all things Marvel in addition to continuing to read the DC comics. So I've been, you know, sort of swimming in these waters forever. So, wait, I think we missed something maybe fairly important. With those Superman comics that you were just flipping through and didn't read, not able to read just yet, who were they? Where'd they come from? So I had a neighbor, like actually they lived across the street from me, and there were, there were two boys, um, I think it was like Larry and Scott or Larry and Brian or something. There was a Larry involved. And I... I they were a few years older than me, um, and I got a lot of my early comics from them. Silly uh, boys. They actually had a huge, a fairly huge collection, um, and uh, they. It's funny, actually, when I look back on it, like I think of some of the books they gave me, which I no longer have. I'm like, oh, they gave they gave away a fortune in comics. Although, if they were beat up, or as Peter would say, well loved, then yeah. That's true, and they were very well loved. I, I I will say that. So that that's a fair point. That's a, I, I didn't deprive anyone of their college tuition. <laughs> when it comes to uh, the, the you know the connection, obviously the main question a lot of people will go is Marvel or DC. And would you say for yourself, Marvel is the be all end all in a lot of ways? You know, it's it's tough because I. It's hard to choose, man. It's hard, like it's it's a little bit between choosing your first love and the person you marry, you know. Um, so I don't know. Do I, I? I I I don't know if I could pick one to be honest with you. That's a good answer, um, actually, probably because you know. it'd be more. It's not maybe. I'm just thinking about it myself, and I'm not thinking it's a fifty-fifty. More like a sixty-forty. Like you could say forty percent DC got me in, but sixty percent Marvel kept me in. Yeah. Well, I, I will say, like, you know, certainly DC got me in and certainly Marvel kept me in. Um, and, it, you know, a lot of the really sort of seminal books of my childhood, you know, turned out to be Marvel books. You know, like, you know, John Byrne, uh, you know, John Byrne's run on Fantastic Four, The X-Men, uh, Frank Miller's Daredevil, Walter Simonson's Thor. Um, I mean, th- those books, you know, which which also sort of hit me at these very sort of formative early adolescent years, um, you know, when I was 10, 11, 12, like those, those books just loom so large in my mind and sort of so, loom so large in sort of my background. I, I do believe that, that all the books I just mentioned really impacted the way I you know, you know the, the way I sort of developed as a writer. You know, Bill Mantlo's Rom, Bill Mantlo's 
you know, Micronauts. Um, you know, so there's there's so many Marvel books that that loom very large. But you know, at the same time, like you know, Wolfman and Perez's New Teen Titans, you know, same impact on me. Mm. Um, a little bit, you know, later on, admittedly, but you know, Dark Knight Returns, Batman Year One, Watchmen. You know, there's there's plenty of DC properties that I could I could point to that that also are, are very bright stars in my constellation. But uh, you know, but yeah, I, I would you know. 60-40, I think that's such a good split. Give the edge tomorrow. Man. I like that. The Guggenheim Constellation. <laughs> you charge for that? Uh, you know, I don't think anyone would pay me. Um, <laughs> but uh, it sounds nice, doesn't it? Pretty. Mm-hmm. Now, in regards to uh, television with a lot of what's going on with uh, the future of Marvel, you know, rumored innuendo right now as of this recording on uh, December 6th that there might be a bit of a scaling back Right now, with what is going on, you were, you know, partially the architect of the Arrowverse, the Flareoverse, even. And being able to see the success of what that is, to the point where, you know, you'll see fans online talking about the uh, the DC cinematic endeavors, and they'll always respond back with, yeah, but they didn't get it like the, the TV shows did. Oh. Right I'm now. Here. Well, right now, do you feel... You know, how do you feel Marvel is doing with the television shows, like the uh, the the award winning Disney Plus shows? Yeah, look, I think they're doing very well. I think what Marvel, I think actually what Marvel is doing is is something even more revolutionary than the way we talk about it. Um, you know, we have this tendency to sort of talk about the Marvel shows as if they're shows, and they're they're actually like. I, they're they're you know to use a legal term just too generous. They're they're unique. They're they're not they're not eight hour movies. At the same time, they're not eight episode television shows. They they sit somewhere in between. You know they they really are a, a different form of of narrative storytelling in my mind. Um, so I, and I don't think you know Kevin Feige and all of his partners. I don't think they get enough credit for the way they they truly are redefining the landscape and sort of redefining what quote-unquote television is. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I think they're doing very well. I, I will say I, I haven't actually had, they've produced so much content in the past year, I haven't been able to keep up. Um, you know, so like I haven't seen Moon Knight, I haven't seen Ms. Marvel. Um, you know, I'm going to get to them eventually, but, uh, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. Um, and there, there's a lot of content out there. So I, the fact that, that they may, if it's true, that they may be scaling back, that just sounds great just for my, you know, to-watch list. Uh, I need to catch up. Story of every podcast episode that we start with. Catching oh, really? Up. Is that true? Uh, I, I'm glad to know I'm not the only one. Uh, that, that actually makes me feel much, much, much better. Talk about Clone Wars. Okay. <laughs> Oof. Hachi machi. But, you know, it's funny because a lot of the uh, the Marvel output right now, like, it, for myself, it can be hit or miss. You know, like, you'll hear me bitch moan and kvetch about uh, what if, but on the flip side, someone else might like it, you know? Mm-hmm. I, by the way, I mean, uh, you know, for, for what it's worth, I I love what if. Um, I, I actually, you know, it's, you know, I don't want to, like, rank or pick, but, like, it, it's up there as, like, some of my favorite Marvel television content. Um, full disclosure, I, I'm friends with the, the two head writers. 
Um, uh, but I, I really, I really do love it. I particularly love without spoiling things, the way everything kind of connects and comes together at the end of the first season. It, it sort of reminded me of Marvel phase one in, in many respects, uh, that way. So, uh, I, I've got a lot of love for that series. Um, but, um, it's, uh, you know, it, 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 what's, what's great. I think about what Marvel is producing is there's so many different types of shows you know one of, one of my complaints about the netflix shows was they were all good but they were all very much the same they were all gritty crime dramas and i love the fact that you know marvel's doing she hulk and marvel's doing moon knight and you can't tell me that there's anything that those uh series have in common except for the marvel studios at the front um you know and by the way like the fact that they even have the marvel flip at the beginning of the shows and, and at the end credits sort of match the movies. Again, it sort of speaks to my overall theory that these things aren't eight episode shows and they're not quite eight hour movies. They, they really do exist as, as some, you know, sort of hybrid in between. Uh, and, and I'm here for that. I, I really, I, I like the fact that they're playing with what the format can do. I personally like that with uh, Marvel as well as with Star Wars, what you just said, the whole point of different kinds of tones. Like, And yeah, you are 100% right about the Netflix ones. Like, You could, you know, Luke Cage had the same feel as Iron Fist. Jessica Jones had the same feel as Daredevil. And yeah, you know, it's when you look at, you know, She-Hulk, She-Hulk exists in the same universe as Moon Knight, but also the same universe as the Guardians of the Galaxy. And right, exactly. That's where it's like, it's that part about comics that I love. You know, when I would hear people, you know, whine about She-Hulk, you know, the whole point of Daredevil would never crack jokes. First off, read a comic book. Second of all, <laughs> um, <laughs> second of all, the whole idea, you know, you mentioned the whole different tones. You can, ha- it's just like the comic books. A character yeah. will show up in a book that is completely different than what the tone is of what everything else is. Although, I'll be completely honest, if I saw a comic book where all of a sudden Dare, uh, Howard the Duck shows up in, let's say, Punisher Max, I would be dying because I'd love to see how they managed to pull that one off. But, you know, this goofy stuff. But it's also the different tones. Like, you can see this character work in a different environment. Just yeah. so many different, you know, the color of it all, the color of the tapestry of the Marvel Universe. Which I, I think, you know, what 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 Faye is and his partners are doing is giving us a live action version of the Marvel Universe. He, he's creating a live act, action, you know, version of what we've been reading in pages of comic books for a decade. And that's that's incredibly exciting. I, I don't you know. And, and yeah, just like just like the comics, not every issue is you know, worthy of an eye, but, um, you know, the, the overall, you know, universe, the overall cinematic universe, I think is incredible. And again, I'm going back over to star Wars. Like there's so many different things in regards to star Wars that are, you know, tonally different. Like, you know, if you make it canon, you got the Ewoks and droids cartoons, you got stuff yep. like star Wars visions, which is its own thing. And it's all sorts of different things. Like the very first episode of star Wars visions is literally the uh, creator of Afro Samurai doing, you know, uh, like a samurai kind of story. And it's completely different than anything else in the Star Wars universe. But it works. Yeah, 
I, and I think, you know, I, I think you can look at examples of stuff that's actually in canon that is wildly different in tone. I mean, it, you know, re remember, like, Star Wars is the universe where a father can chop off his son's hand in one movie, and there could be dancing teddy bears in another. Yeah. Like, that's Star Wars. Like, you know, Star Wars has that incredible range in terms of tone uh, built right into the original, you know, the original ingredients, if you will. Um, so I, I, it's funny, I, I don't understand people who get so dogmatic and are like, that's not Star Wars. I'm like, actually, Star Wars is, in, it, it's an incredibly big tent, totally. Um, and that's one of the things I love about it. You know, you can, you can tell a crime thriller, you can tell a romantic comedy, you can tell a horror movie. You can, you can tell all sorts of different types of stories in you know, the Star Wars universe or the Star Wars galaxy. Mark, is besides the stuff that we've been talking about and what you're working on now, is that consuming all your time? Are you doing other things? And I ask that because I see in part of the bio I was reading that you also were a lawyer and practiced as a lawyer. I'm not sure if you're still doing that as well. He's doing oh, an interview God. with us. No, I, I, uh, no, I, no, I no longer practice. I haven't practiced, you know, in, in 20 years now, mm. uh, 23 years. Um, no, but I, I do keep busy. Um, I'll tell you kind of what's on my plate at the moment. So I'm, uh, you know, well, first of all, I guess I, this is a good time for me to actually like pimp out my, my Substack newsletter um, because that's where people can sort of keep up with everything I'm doing. That's just markguggenheim.substack.com. Um, and it's Mark of the Sea, by the way. And uh, basically, I'm, you know, I'm doing the Star Wars stuff. I just started uh, another non-Star Wars project for Marvel that I'm really, really excited about. But of course, unfortunately, it's very early days, so I can't talk about it. Come on, uh, Howard the Duck. But I'm having, having a blast with that. Um, I'm also, I'm working on um, working on an animated project uh, that, again, I can't talk about. Uh, I'm working on, um, next week, on, on Wednesday, uh, a, a graphic novel that I did with Howard Chaikin and Image Comics uh, comes out. It's called Too Dead to Die, and uh, that actually sold uh, to a studio um, that can't mention the studio. <laughs> God, mm. there's so much I can't talk about. Um, but uh, I'm working on the screenplay for that. Um, I'm working on, uh, I'm continuing to work on Torrent, which is a, uh, another creator owned book. Uh, that's an ongoing series that I'm doing with image and Justin Greenwood. Justin and I worked together on resurrection and, and stringers uh, back in the day for only press. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm working on that and, uh, I'm sort of in the pitch stages, uh, various different elements of the pitch stage. Uh, on a variety of different TV shows. Um, but, you know, television development is, it's a lot slower and more attenuated than it, than it used to be pre-COVID. Um, so all of those are sort of like, you know, long tail kind of plays where, you know, it, it may take a while um, before, you know, anything comes of them. Um, and I'm also working on a, uh, what's called a spec feature, which is, it's a, it's a feature um, that no one is paying me to write. I'm writing it, you know, on spec, um, because mainly because I, I got this idea and the idea wouldn't let go of me. And I'm like, well, damn, I, I don't really have the time. And I've actually never written in the genre before, but 
the idea is to just pass up. Well, is that a throwback then to when you looked like we're an intern at Marvel in 1990? No one is paying you? <laughs> you know, um, a little bit. You know, look, I think it's, it's one of the nice things about uh, I will occasionally do a spec feature or a spec pilot. And in, in large part, I do it to get the idea out of me um, and tell the story that I'm itching to tell. But what one of the things that's nice is, you know, I always say, like, I write for free. I get paid to take notes. So when I'm not getting paid, I'm not getting any notes either. Um, so that's kind of nice. Uh, I'm not going to not going to lie. Um, you know, it's funny uh, uh, that you mentioned the internship at Marvel because uh, over the pandemic, uh, my, my wife and I bought a uh, apartment in New York that is literally like around the block from where Marvel was back when I interned there. Wow. Um, and walking around the neighborhood, I'm always, you know, like, oh, this is so cool. I like, you know, it's like kid comes home. That's cool. You mentioned, by the way, you were working on a project, another project with uh, Howard Chaikin. Got any uh, fun stories about the lovable and affable and cuddly Howard Chaikin? Uh, yeah. Well, by the way, he is all those things. I, look, I love <laughs> Howard. Yeah, it, this this one is, uh, it's fine. This one's called uh, Two Dead to Die. And basically, it, it's sort of about an aging James Bond type character. And it was actually one of the first comic, back in 2020, um, before I knew there would be a global pandemic, my New Year's resolution was to get back into creator-owned comics. And one of the first scripts I started writing, and again, just starting it on spec, was was Too Dead to Die. And I was about, you know, 13 pages in when I realized, oh, my gosh, I'm writing this with Howard in mind. Like, I, all the, you know, when I write, I, I picture the art in my head. And the art I was picturing was Howard. So... When I, like, finished, like, the first 20-something pages, I, you know, sent it off to him and saying, you know, I don't know if you have any interest in, you know, doing a, a creator-owned book um, with me, but I kind of couldn't get your art out of my head as I was writing this. Um, and he got, he came back and was like, yeah, absolutely, I'm in, and, and we just we just kept going. Um, and we now have, you know, uh, this craft novel will be out in, you know, in stores on Wednesday the 14th. Um, sorry, what was that? No, I was just going to say, this is not the first time you're working with, with Howard. I think I saw you did a 12-issue run of uh, Blade. We did a 12-issue run of Blade, and we did a six-issue run of Wolverine together. Um, and, uh, you know, I love I love writing for Howard. Um, I, I love, you know, I've always, I was always a fan of Howard's, you know, uh, beforehand, you know, starting with the original Star Wars adaptation that he did. Um, mm -hmm. And the you know which which it, it, its existence blew my mind as a as a six year old kid because I'm like wait a second there can be a comic book version of the movie and wait a minute that story can continue in the comics past the point that the movie ended like it it blew my six year old brain completely and um, I I sort of you know always described writing for Howard as uh, I am Indiana Jones and he is the Boulder. Um, he is just, he, he's right at your heel, you know, as a writer. And it's like, okay, I got to keep, you know, when you're a comic book writer, the, the main thing, you know, the job number one is keep the artist fed, keep the artist, you know, with script pages. They, they, you know, it, they, they should be able to work every single day if they want to. Um, so you always want to make sure that you're, you're writing very far ahead of them. And with Howard, I don't know what his secret is. He's so fast. Um, 
you're never far enough uh, ahead. Um, but uh, he's, you know, he's, he's just such a delight to work with. Um, we're doing, uh, you know, incentive uh, signature uh, book plates, signed book plates. And I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, went over to his house to drop them off. And, you know, like he had stuff to do and I had stuff to do. And we just ended up like talking for over an hour, um, you know, just, just shooting the shit um, because he's just, he's a blast to talk to. Um, and, and he, I, I know, I know it doesn't seem it, uh, but he is actually very cuddly. He, he's got a soft, creamy center to him. Well, he uses good skin moisturizer too for his beard and stuff too. And we've seen him and talked to him at uh, at cons and stuff. So he's uh, he's good good people. You know, it's funny. Like uh, when we were doing Blade together, um, I was at San Diego Comic Con, and I was, you know, I bought a page from issue one. I just happened to to be there, and I'm I'm you know I, I buy the page, and I'm I'm walking you know through the convention floor. And if any, if you've ever been to a San Diego Comic Convention, it's like you know, it's 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 like a congested freeway on its best day, and um, you know, I'm I'm walking through this sea of humanity, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I've got to figure out like a way to get this to Howard so he can sign it, and bam, I bump into him, um, and it was like, wow, that's weird. Just the timing on that is so so crazy, um, because you know, we talk about thousands of people. Um, mm-hmm. I should have bought a lottery ticket instead. No offense, Howard. There's your way, okay. And it happened. And it happened, yeah. Okay, so I got, got signed right there, and now I want to get to the ending and, uh, of that. Yeah, but my, my wife has given me one staircase in the house to put uh, comic book art up on. Uh, yeah, but so wait, how many stairs? It's actually not bad. It's 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 not bad. It's I haven't counted the number of stairs, but it's like two flights. You know, it's like you know one. You know, it's like two flights of stairs. So it's it's not it's not a bad um, uh, amount of wall space. Uh, um, and that, that's where all my, you know, uh, pieces of original art that I've bought over the years uh, hang. That's good. The standard 12 or 16 steps. Maybe you break in the middle. They take a rest, yeah. look around. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, it, works, it, works, it works out okay. Every time I go down to the garage, I get to see, see my collection. So it's, it's not bad. And then, of course, you could always vary it up and move the places of what's hanging and just make a whole new, you know, visual. It, you know, it's funny, like... Um, I, I always like whenever I can get any sort of comp book related piece of art outside of my office. I have a home office, and, and that's where all my comp book stuff goes. But anytime I can, like, you know, free a piece of comp book art to, to go outside of my office, it's, it's always like an achievement. And I, a number of years ago, I, I was sort of cleaning out stuff, and I, I found, I, you know, I must have ended up with them um, from my days as an intern at Marvel, but like, I found these color guides from Namer Number Two by John Byrne. The color guides were, of course, by Gwyneth Oliver, and um, I like had them all framed as like sort of a, a single row that just sort of goes down a, a line, you know, goes down a whole wall um, in the house, and and that's you know that's pretty cool. That I, is I, very I, cool. I, I can I kind of visualize that now. Yeah, it's that's excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 long. I mean, it's like several pages, so it's like it's just it's like this little like stretch of art that's really kind of cool. Um, you know, those, those color guides back in the day were their own piece of art. You know, mm-hmm. sure. I know we're talking to you from uh, across the uh, three thousand miles or so. W- it will there be any time in the future year or so where you'll be maybe out um doing shows cons anything like that or 
Yeah, actually, yes. The, the short answer is yes. The longer answer is I just don't know which cons just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, now that I'm, you know, vaccinated and boosted and everything, I, I am looking to, you know, sort of get back to doing conventions. Um, I, you know, I'm not quite sure what the next one will be. I was at New York Comic Con. I didn't like table. I was only on one panel. I sort of kept it very chill. I was like, okay, you know, this is my first, you know, post-COVID or, you know, post-pandemic convention. I'm going to really, really take it slow. Um, But it worked out well, and I didn't catch COVID, and that was great. Uh, So, you know, my my goal is, you know, to do a little more stuff, schedule a little more things uh, for the next con. I just don't know which one that might be just yet. So now before we go, how can people get a hold of you on them, their social medias? Ah, well, I'm on uh, Twitter at mguggenheim. I'm also on Instagram at markguggenheim. Um, and like I said, I've got uh, a weekly newsletter. I try to come at, I try to put it out every Friday, uh, and that's on Substack. That's markguggenheim.substack.com. And um, with that, I try to like you know sort of just update on you know, stuff I'm doing in both comic books and Hollywood. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll preview some art. Like, you know, like this Friday, I'm going to, you know, preview exclusively four pages from Two Dead to Die. Um, you know, I'll also, like, I'll talk about stuff that's going on in either the comic book or entertainment industries. Um, sometimes I'll talk about, like, issues of, you know, social relevance to me. Um, it's it's short. Like they're always like a like a three to four minute read. I try not to overwhelm people with you know with with text. Um, but uh, it's a fun little little nugget. You know, nugget. It's a little morsel. Um, and uh, I try to put that out every Friday. Uh, are you also on uh, Hive, by the way? Because I think I've seen you on there. Yes, I am on Hive. Mm-hmm. Although <laughs> is Hive back up? Back up? Nope. <laughs> Just... well, see, there you go. Uh, but yes, I'm I'm on Hive at Mark Guggenheim uh, there as well. Very cool. All right, Mark, thank you so much for your time today on the program. Thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for all your work, the screenwriting, the TV producing, on the pages, the comic books, and the novel stuff, and, and looking forward to seeing uh, what else is in store. Oh, thank you. Thank you both very, very much. This was a lot of fun. Or in a museum or on a staircase or wherever. Yeah. Come to the house. You'll check out the art. For the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Mark Guggenheim. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior!